Hey friends, welcome to Girls' Night. I'm Stephanie Mae Wilson, and I am so happy that you're here. Each week, I have a girlfriend over, and we talk through one of the biggest questions we have about our lives as women. We're talking about friendships and faith and relationships and self-confidence, about our calling in life and how to live every bit of our lives to the absolute full. Life is so much better and easier and absolutely more fun when we navigate it together as girlfriends, and I cannot wait to get started. So today, we're doing something a little bit different. So a few weeks ago, my dear friend, Dana Marie, asked me to be a guest on her new podcast, The Hope Collective Podcast. You guys have heard from Dana before here on Girls' Night. She was episode number four, where we talked about finding beauty and hope in the midst of brokenness. Dana is a dear friend of mine, as well as an amazing writer and musician, and I know y'all just love her. Well, so when she reached out about interviewing me, Dana very gently asked if I might be ready to tell a story I haven't really gotten to share much of yet. You guys might have heard me mention a little bit about this here on the podcast, but over the summer, I realized I was really struggling with some anxiety and with some depression. Now, I've been wanting to tell y'all the full story of what happened. I just hadn't figured out how to do it yet. But when Dana reached out and asked me about this interview, I felt like this was the perfect time to really talk about it. Now, guys, I have to be honest. I was really nervous about this interview. This is the first time I've told the story from beginning to end, and it's the first time I've really shared the full thing publicly. And so it's just a tender one for me to share. So I'm going to ask for your grace with me. But... I love Dana and I trust her so much. I knew there was no better person in the world to talk about this with for the very first time on a podcast. And I'm so happy I did. I loved getting to fully open up about what happened and Dana was so gentle and kind with me in the process. I love this conversation and really I loved it so much that the second we finished recording the interview for her podcast, I asked if she would mind if I also shared it with y'all. She graciously said yes. And so this is a conversation we recorded for Dana's podcast, The Hope Collective, but You'll see, it still totally feels like a girl's night. Y'all, I'm really excited to share this with you. Totally nervous, but also really excited because I know that when I was in the deepest part of my depression, the thing that helped me the very most was knowing I wasn't alone. And so that's what I hope you walk away from this conversation knowing. If you're struggling with anxiety and depression right now, you are not alone, my friend. Not only that, but there's help available for you, just like there was for me. And we'll talk all about that in this episode. Okay, you guys ready? Let's dive in. Here's my conversation with Dana. Okay, friends, I am so excited to introduce you, which she doesn't need an introduction, but to my really, really, really beautiful friend, Stephanie Mae Wilson. She is one of my favorite people in the world. And oh my gosh, this conversation is just something I've been looking forward to for a long time. So before we begin, I'd love Stephanie to just you know, let us know a little bit about who you are, um, what you do, where you live. Oh my gosh. Okay. (laughs) Dana, I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for opening up space for this conversation. I know we're going to dive into it. I'm so, I'm so excited for what God has in store and I'm really excited to get to share this with you. But yes, hi. Uh, So I'm Stephanie Mae Wilson and I am an author and a speaker and a podcaster. And my specialty is helping 20 and 30 something women navigate their most important relationships. So that's their relationships with God, with their friends, with their work and their calling, with themselves. I'm missing one. Oh, and with their significant others, of course. (laughs) And I love doing that because one, those can be some of the trickiest areas of our lives. um, The most full of anxiety and confusion and the areas where we feel the most lost. Um, When those areas of our lives are going well, they're some of the... I mean, they're the sweetest 
parts of our lives. Um, And the thing that I've noticed is that when, when our relationships, when those relationships, our relationship with God, with our friends, with our significant others, with Mm -hmm. our working with ourselves, when those relationships aren't in a good spot, that's when we start to hide. That's when we start to put on masks to cover ourselves up to like, you know, try to pretend it's, we're not able to fully show up in the world as the best versions of ourselves. And we're not able to do what we were created to do in the world either. And so I feel like our relationships, you know, when we have safe relationships and we know that we're fully known and fully loved and fully seen exactly as we are, that's when we can blossom and when we can be like, bring our best selves to the table and the world benefits so much, um, when we're able to do that. And so that's kind of my thing. Um, it's just, just walking with women through these areas of our relationships and, and just being a a friend and sort of a big sister mentor along the way. I love it, girl. I love it. When did you know that you wanted to be a writer? Like, how did you begin writing? How did you begin blogging? And just being the incredible mentor that you are. Cause I love that word for you. Mentor is just so perfect. And I love how it goes along with your writing. So like, when did you start that? And when, you know, like when you wrote the lipstick gospel, did you know that it was going to become this epic thing that it is? Oh my gosh. Um, Well, that's super kind. Um, So, okay. This is like a huge story. So let me see if I can condense it. Um, When I was in college, my major was broadcast journalism. And that was my great dream of life was to be a broadcast journalist. Um, I ended up becoming a Christian late in college, like my senior year. And when that happened, my whole life was turned either upside down or right side up. Um, And it is. all at the same time. Um, and part of what happened was that I found myself not really wanting to be a journalist anymore. Mm. And that was a huge, it was a really big heartbreak for me because it was like, I mean, it was just this loss of a dream I'd had for, for years and years and years that I'd been working really hard towards. And, you know, I, as I started falling really in love with Jesus, Mm. I found my heart for journalism totally had disappeared. And, um, I grieved it a lot because, you know, especially because I was about to graduate and I was like, okay, this is the plan for my life. Now I have nothing. What am I going to do next? And, um, what ended up coming next was that I was offered a, an internship at the college ministry where I had gotten involved, like really at the end of college, they offered me an an internship where I was in charge of leading a Greek ministry. So, um, a small group of a whole bunch of sorority girls. And, um, my job was that on Sunday afternoons, I led a small group for them, but like 27 of them showed up. So it was not really a super small group. It was kind of a large group. A big group. Um, group. Um, And so my job for that year was, was mentoring these women, was going to coffee with them, was talking to them about their most important relationships, their relationship with God and their friends and their calling, what was next for them, their relationship with boys, every, every piece of it. Mm -hmm. And I totally fell in love with it. Um, I was ready to leave journalism behind. You know, I, I cried about it a lot, but then, you know, I really was like, okay, I think this is what God created me to do. But then somewhere along the way, I got this opportunity to travel around the world for, for a year um, as a missionary. And what I kind of didn't realize was as like a sort of a traveling writer. And so it, it was a trip where you'd go to 11 countries in 11 months um, mm-hmm. doing missions all over the world. And when that opportunity came up, I just knew I had to say yes to it. So at this point, I felt like I had said no to journalism. Now I had said no to college ministry to go travel around the world. And I felt like God and I were just on this journey that was so zigzaggy, like twisty, yeah, turny. I, totally. I felt like there's no way there could be any sort of grand plan to all of this. But when I you know, arrive on this trip, 
Mm-hmm. I find out that one of the things that they require of us, and I'm a total rule follower. So anything like I'll do anything for friendship right. or if it's a rule. <laughs> and for um, <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, and so they had this rule where they, you know, they wanted you to blog twice a week and they gave mm. you a blog. And I had blogged some in college for, you know, and, and in these different journalism jobs I had, I blogged, you know, professionally, but I yeah. hadn't ever thought about sharing my story or yeah, I, I just hadn't thought about blogging personally. And sure. so when they handed me a blog, I was like, what? what is this? And and I was a little bit mad because it felt kind of like journalism. I'm like, God, you took journalism from me. Like, don't right. give it back now. I just finally, you know, felt better like after this whole thing. And so, sure. um, I ended up blogging my way around the world and the most amazing thing happened because I fell in love with writing and I loved getting to share the story of what God was doing in my life. And I knew that by sharing what God was doing in my life, I was able to show women like me, like those sorority girls that I had just been and had um, gotten to mentor and um, just anyone who was reading, I was able to show them what God is capable of doing in their lives as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and the most amazing thing happened. People started to read my blog and I started getting messages from women and, wow. um, you know, just saying, Hey, like God spoke to me through this. And mm-hmm. It was so cool because in a way that I never could have anticipated, God married this background in journalism with my desire for women's ministry. And it all kind of came together Mm -hmm. um, through writing. And so when I got home from that trip, I knew that I wanted to keep doing this. And so I, you know, created my own blog and I've been doing this for, I mean, in that form for like six years, which is insane. Um, and it's really cool because it's, it's, it feels like an online version to me of what happened in that small group of just us getting to be in life together as women, sharing stories, um, me getting to say, Hey, you know, I went like, I'm like a step and a half ahead of you in life. You know, I'm a step and a half older, or, you know, I've been, I went through this last week, even, um, here's what I learned along the way. Let's, let's walk through this together. You're not alone. Um, here's some things that can help. Here's some resources. And it's just us getting to navigate life together. And so I love what God's done through it. And the lipstick gospel, my gosh, I, so that's the whole story of how I became a Christian in the first place. And which is just the craziest story. God is so creative. Um, but you know, when I wrote that, I knew that I had to tell that story for the exact same reason. I wanted to show women like me, women with the same doubts and fears and insecurities and who are lost in the same way that I was, what God's capable of doing when he gets involved, when he comes on the scene, because he really did. He, he transformed my life in the most beautiful way that I never could have done on my own. And um, so that, I mean, that's the story of the Lipstick Gospel. But when... It, I, you know, it's funny hearing you ask the question, especially that way, because the night before the lipstick gospel came out, there's a photo of me. I took a photo because I was like, I need to remember this. <laughs> I'm sitting on the couch. Carl has his arms wrapped around me, uh-huh. and I'm sobbing because I'm so scared and I'm so intimidated by sharing this story with the world. <laughs> what's going to happen? And I just, yes, I, I feel like I had no idea what God was going to do with it. But I love that. It's been it's been really beautiful. That is so beautiful stuff. Oh my gosh. I also love how you talked about like how, you know, your heart was for journalism before you knew the Lord. And that was like where you were going. That was what you were set on. That was it. And then how when Jesus comes into the picture, he just shakes things up so much. And one of the one of the things that I that for me is so convincing about about Jesus is that he takes these things that are so strong in our hearts that like we never, ever, ever could imagine ourselves without. And he just makes them so small. You know what I mean? It's like, I I feel like the same thing happened for me with my music career. And, you know, I was before, um, before I knew the Lord, I, my one aim was like, get on the radio, you know, have music videos, like kind of be well-known, like a household name, which is really embarrassing to say, but like, that's where 
what my flesh wanted. And when I came to know the Lord, it was like, that was just taken away. I had no desire for fame or any of that stuff at all. I had no desire for it, but, um, it, it was a grieving process. So I love that you talked about that. Cause I think that that's really going to touch certain listeners because there is this grieving process that happens when we look at ourselves pre and post, like knowing the Lord, I think. Um, but then what I love the most about him and why he's so sweet is that he takes those desires of our hearts. Right. And he, he doesn't, nothing's wasted. Like I really believe that he redeems and restores everything. So I love that he redeemed and restored your desire for journey in this way that it just, it just had to be like a one degree turn to just glorify him, to bring him the glory instead of it being for you. I mean, it's still, it's a gift for you, but it's also honoring him. And I feel like that he's done that with my music as well. And it's like this beautiful thing that we have to be patient through, I think, because there's a season of time when we just have to like, let him do his thing in our hearts and trust him through that process. But I know that like, I think that's just something that some people need to hear is that, you know, those desires in your heart, just let him trust him with those desires. And yeah, that's really cool to hear you have that similar kind of story with him. So, well, and I think that like, you know, I get nervous every once Mm -hmm. in a while because I think, oh my gosh, if I really care about this thing, God's going to take it away and never Mm -hmm. give it back because I, because I desire it. And if I desire it, isn't, only him, he's going to take it away. But I, you know, and I, I think that for a minute, I might've thought that that's why he did that, but I don't think that was, I think that no. he, I think every once in a while he's like, kiddo, you're holding on to this a little too tight. And it's not like, that's not a safe place for your heart or not a safe place for your identity. Totally. Um, I, I think that he, he knew better than I did. He knew I could have been a journalist and I could have loved it and I could have been good at it. But I think that even better, you, even better than than me being a journalist was this, was me getting to tell the story of like the the stories he was writing in my life and through my life Mm -hmm. and to get to talk about other things. Like he, it wasn't out of cruelty that he took it away. He was like, this is, I have something better here. Mm -hmm. Um, And and I think that we can, like, we can really, we can really trust that. He's not, he's not taking things away to be cruel. He's, he has, he has a better idea and we can trust that. It's so good. That's so good. I love that. Thanks for sharing that stuff. That's so good. All right, girl. So when I was dreaming up this podcast, you know, it's all new this season. One thing that I knew from the get-go is that I wanted you to be a guest. You know, just over a year ago was when you gave me the opportunity to be on Girls Night and you allowed me to talk about some really, really vulnerable things, um, including depression and anxiety. And there are so many things that you and I could jam on today. Like I had this whole list of ideas of what we could talk about, but we've both felt really strongly that it was time to open up a conversation that was just devoted to anxiety and depression, and especially how it pertains to us as women who love and follow Jesus. Um, You've been so open and vulnerable with your tribe about your recent struggle with anxiety and depression. And that has really just like really touched something deep within me. And I'd love it if you could just start off this conversation by giving us a little bit of your backstory. You know, what has your relationship been with anxiety and with depression and just how has that affected you? Oh, well, so I have to say, I haven't, you know, I have shared this story in little bits and pieces along the way. Um, just because I don't know, I, I felt, you know, I don't, I don't know that we always need to share everything as we're going through it. I think a lot of times some hindsight is really good, um, you know, to learn lesson and, and have some space to do it privately. And then to be able to turn around and say, Hey, okay, if you're in this 
me too. You know, here's what I learned along the way. But for some reason, I just kind of felt that I needed to share about this as it was happening. But that being said, I didn't get to share much and I haven't actually told this story before. And so um, I'm really honored to get to share it. And I'm a little nervous, but I'm, I love getting to share it with you, Dana. And when you said that you wanted to talk about this, I felt like, yes, like I'm ready to talk about this. And you are, I can't think of a person in the world I'd rather share this with first um, than you. So y'all, as you're listening, know that I have not shared this story before. So I'm going to try to do my very best. But okay. So background with anxiety and depression. I honestly didn't think I struggled with it ever in my life. Depression is something that runs really deep on both sides of my family. And I know that a lot of times depression can be something you inherit, like hereditary. But I just, I think I, you know, there were seasons where I felt depressed and, but it was like, I was going through a breakup or I'd lost someone I loved or something like that. And so I just didn't think that general depression was a part of my life. And I think I didn't want it to be. So maybe it was. And I just think I sort of shut that off. Like, this isn't true. This isn't part of me. Um, I had some personal like negative stigmas about it because, because it did run so deep in my family. I wanted to be the one who overcame it. And so for years, I just didn't think that I struggled with either anxiety or depression. Some anxiety, some some like notable, undeniable anxiety showed up in my life when my husband Carl and I were dating because we started talking about marriage pretty quickly, which at first I was like 100% on board with because I knew I knew there was something so special about him. And I really like, you know, we both dated people before and I just, I knew, I knew that this was the kind of person that I could spend my life with. And so as we started talking about marriage, I felt really good about it, but... I quickly was overwhelmed by fear and anxiety about how big of a decision marriage is. And so I feel like that sort of swallowed up the certainty I felt, just this uncertainty about who in the world gave me authority to make this kind of decision. You know, like this is a terrifying decision. Oh my gosh, this is a big deal. Like who said that I am capable capable of deciding something like this? And so I really struggled with some, some real anxiety. And I think I even was having panic attacks during that season. And the, the beautiful thing was that in the midst of it, I got to see Carl's character and I got to see how he loved me through me, you know, sobbing and telling him like, I'm not sure I can marry you because I'm, how do I even know if I can? Um, and just the way that he continued to move towards me and pursue me and love me and be there for me and wipe my tears was so evident of how our life would be together. And it really helped me feel so much more certain about the fact that this was someone that I like could really commit to. But other than that, I really didn't think that anxiety or depression were part of my life. And I kind of, after I, you know, I spent a long time praying about that decision and, you know, trying to figure it out and, you know, ended up deciding, yes, I'm ready to do this. And I was ready to do it. And so we obviously got married. It's been really great. But I, I think after that, I kind of felt like anxiety and depression, like weren't really a thing. And again, I never thought I had struggled with depression over the last, you know, four and a half years that we've been married. We've been through some really tough things. We've had, you know, there's sort of a list of all the stressful things that can happen in someone's life. And, um, you know, like the stress level. So it's like moving is really stressful. Divorce is really stressful. Having kids is really stressful. Losing a job is really stressful. Starting a business is really stressful. Selling a house is really, you know, th- those there's kind of a, I, I don't know who made it, but there's sort of, sort of a list of like top stressors in life. And by the time we'd been married, you know, in the first year of our marriage, really Carl and I hit like most of them. Um, we moved, we lost two sets of jobs each. We each started a business. We yeah, moved to a new city, bought a house. I mean, just all the kinds of things that 
can be stressful. And so I think I just thought, you know, my life is stressful and it's also really public. I love the work that I get to do. I love, love, love getting to share what God's doing in my life and, and getting to encourage women and do it from a place of vulnerability. I love that. But it is, you know, there are parts of my job that are scary. I have to stand on stage. I have to, um, you know, give presentations. I have to like make my own salary. You know, there's not anyone making sure that I get paid at the end of the day. And so I think I thought, you know, I have a stressful life. Therefore, I am feeling lots of stress and lots of fear and lots of sadness and lots of true anxiety. About a year ago, I was feeling so anxious, like having a really hard time sleeping, feeling so twisted up in my thoughts, feeling like, you know, something could happen. And I just, I didn't have, like, I pictured being in some water or like, you know, in a pool. And you know how, if you want to get out of the pool, you put your hands on the side of the, of the deck and you push yourself up. I felt like I couldn't, like people were saying stuff, you know, that that's not truth. You know, like, you know, that that's not, that's not the truth of who God says you are. That's not true. Or, you know, that the fact that you said that dumb thing isn't going to break that relationship. You guys have been friends for two decades. Like, but I just didn't know. I I didn't know. And I wasn't able to push myself above the water enough to be able to see or breathe or get some perspective on what was true and what wasn't. I just was drowning. And so I started going to counseling, which I would recommend to everybody. And it helped in a lot of ways. My counselor's awesome and I'm still going. And she was able to help me through, you know, we talked through a lot of the specific things that were making me feel anxious or making me feel sad. What I don't think either of us, I don't think anyone was able to do was to see kind of the overall trend in my life, to see how often I was feeling anxious or how often I was crying at this point or how often I was feeling like I was drowning in my own thoughts. And even it's crazy because even my husband, Carl, didn't see it. Like no one saw it. I didn't see it. My therapist didn't see it. Nobody saw it. because I was still getting out of bed in the morning and because I was still working really hard and because I was still getting my stuff done. And, you know, I think that depression and anxiety show up in all different kinds of ways. And I think we're really used to it showing up in the form of like, can't stop crying, can't get out of bed, shut down from the world, cut yourself off from people. Like people are my thing. You guys know this. So like, I wasn't cutting myself off from anybody. I was getting out of bed. I just was drowning in my thoughts as I was out of bed. And, And I think that I channeled a lot of my anxiety and a lot of my depression into working really, really hard on things. Kind of a notable example is that when I was feeling, when I'd be feeling anxious, like on the weekends, I would be trying to shut down, you know, the most anxious parts of my brain. And the only way I could figure out to do that was by like cleaning and organizing things. And so my medicine cabinet is like the cleanest, most organized thing you can imagine. Like every part of my house is like perfectly organized and (laughs) friends have come over. You know, the girlfriends who came into town the other weekend were like, Steph, oh my gosh, why is your house so organized? And I was like, because I've been really anxious for a really long time. Um, So that's kind of how I was coping. I I just, I didn't notice how bad it had gotten and no one really did um, because it didn't look like we were, it didn't look like we were used to it looking. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's funny because I I don't, I guess it's not funny, but I don't know how long this has been going on and I don't know when it started and there's a chance that it's been going on for years. But finally, I would say around April or May, around April, my parents came to visit and I remember feeling really, really sad all weekend, even though they were here and in town, like all, I was surrounded by my favorite people, but I still felt this real feeling of emptiness in my soul. And it was still feeling sad and, and, and nervous and upset and kind of, um, and anxious. And I remember telling my parents that, and they said, Steph, keep an eye on it. Like if you're still feeling like this, 
if this doesn't go away, if this isn't like, you just feel like this for like a week or so, you need to pay something, you need to pay attention to this. Cause they reminded me, you know, this really runs in our family. And they asked me, you know, is anything going on? And I was like, no, like everyone, I'm not going through a big loss. That was the other thing is I wasn't going through a big loss. Like life was mostly stable. Life was more stable than it's been in a really long time. There wasn't anything that, that was really happening that should make me feel the way that I was feeling. And then not only that, I mentioned the thing about organizing. Like I dove deep into self-care because I thought that, you know, like my, yeah, my life is stressful. All of our lives are stressful. So we need to take really good care of ourselves. And so I was doing everything I could think of to take care of myself. I was turning my phone off for half the day. So I wasn't, you know, all on Instagram all the time. I was had a really solid, long nighttime routine. I had cleaned out any of the clutter from my home. I, you know, I mean, I've done all these things like self-care, let me fix this kind of things. And things weren't getting better, they were getting worse. And so finally I had a conversation with my best friend Michelle. And she said something to me that she had said probably 10 times at this point. And every time it made me angry until this time when I I just desperately needed to hear her words. And she said, Stephanie, I struggle with anxiety and depression. And I think you do too. And she was like, I'm on, she was like, I'm on medication for this. I'm actively, like, I am a person who struggles with depression and anxiety. The way that you are telling me your thoughts work sound a lot like mine. They sound a lot like what I'm like medicated for, honestly. And so she said, I think that you might need more help than what you're getting right now. And she had said that to me a lot of times. So no one in my life saw it, not even my husband. And I was being honest. Like I wasn't trying, I'm not the like put on a happy face kind of person. I mean, I, I love being happy, but I, I just was, I mean, I'm really honest about how I'm feeling and no one saw it except for Michelle. And that last time that she said it, I was hurting so bad and I was struggling so much and I was drowning in my thoughts so much. I was so like, it, my heart felt like I was going through a breakup and I wasn't going through a breakup. My body and my soul and my mind felt like my house was on fire and I was in the process of losing everything important to me, but nothing was on fire. And finally, when she said that I needed to hear it so badly, I accepted it. And I said, I think you might be right. I think I really actually might struggle with this. I think I might need more help. Mm. Wow, Steph. <laughs> oh my gosh. And what did it feel like to finally just say, I think you might be right? Like, I think how did that feel? I felt a couple different things when I, when I felt that. And when I, you know, finally went about, um, which we can talk about this in a minute, but when I finally went through the process of like getting more help, mm-hmm. um, I think that I felt simultaneously deeply relieved mm-hmm. that maybe, or I was really hopeful. I was really hopeful that she was right actually for the first time ever, because if she was right, and if I do struggle with anxiety and depression, that that means that there's something wrong that can be fixed. So I felt a lot of hope in that. Like for the first time ever, I was like, oh my gosh, I really hope that she's right. I hope that I do have this struggle. I hope there is something off in my brain mm-hmm. because that means we can correct it. If that's not the case, then I just am like this. And this is just how my life is. And so I felt some hope. But then I also, you know, there was a process of, of feeling really sad that mm-hmm. my brain doesn't function on its own perfectly, you know, that I do have this, imba- like, well, and I hadn't found this out officially yet, but like, I do have an imbalance in my brain. And I didn't know that. And I think I just thought that I could overcome it. And I thought with a lot of hard work and self-care and a bubble bath and all these things, like I could get through it. And I just, I finally was to the point where like, I, I think someone said, Stephanie, like, have you tried yoga? Like yoga's really good for anxiety. And Dana, I'm telling you like expletive city. 
like immediately and, and not, it was the safest. I wasn't saying it to them, but like, I think it was, them. I was in, I was in counseling and she said something about like, you know, yoga is good. And I just was like, I have tried everything. I have tried everything. This is not getting better. It's getting worse. Like it's, I've tried everything. Mm. I think like, that's how I came to the end of myself in every single way. I just came to the end of everything I could try and nothing was making it, nothing was making it better. And I was trying all of the, you know, self-care tricks and things and it was just getting worse. And so I think that when I finally, when it was like, no, it's yes, yoga is amazing. Like, yes, I mean, all these different things are, are good for you in all different kinds of ways. This is bigger than that. And I think finally I was ready to hear it because I had just tried everything. Oh, wow. I just feel like the sense of liberation almost, it's hard to admit. You're like, oh my gosh, I might actually have this because we feel like sometimes I think labels scare us and we're like, I don't want to be defined by that. But once you get past that and you're you're like, oh wait, but this is something that can be fixed. This is a problem that can be fixed. Just like I have Crohn's disease. So, you know, when I'm in a flare up, I have to have medication because if I don't like holy cow, it's going to be bad. Right. So why, why are we comfortable with fixing a stomach? <laughs> but as far as, you know, our brains and our emotions go, we think that there's something wrong with us because we take that on as our identity. You know, like I don't take my stomach as my identity, but for some reason, the way I think and the way that, that I feel becomes so much like so intricately involved with our identity. And I think, I just love that you explained the just the feelings that go on with that and how how it's there's a lot of shame involved with it I think and it's something that we can with the Lord I think he can really help us heal that but I think that having outside help is so important because I mean if he if he invented doctors to help us with our physical ailments and why wouldn't we get help for this so we're going to talk about that more later but first I, I wanted to ask you because this is something that I've been really kind of taking a toll of in my own life with my own anxiety and my own depression that I've been really open with with you as well is just like trigger points. So do you have like certain situations or things that you've kind of noticed to have triggered your anxiety? I know for me, and we've talked about this, you know, when we've sat down together, social media comparison can be such a huge trigger. And it's something that I, you know, my husband, he's not on social media, which I'm like, who are you? You're a unicorn. I don't know what, (laughs) how do you do that? How do you go through life? But, um, he, you know, he notices it in me. So he'll be the one to call me out. Like, Hey, Dana, you were having a perfectly great day. And it seems like, you know, I saw you on Instagram. I saw you scrolling and all of a sudden you're in this kind of different mood. And I've kind of tried to ignore that and whatnot, but it's, it's definitely a real thing. And I'm glad for him to be able to call me up on that. I don't like to say call out, but I I think it's like really a calling up. Um, so, you know, it's, that's one thing is social media comparison. And I also feel like another trigger for me is like, when I feel like my boundaries are being crossed or like I'm being taken advantage of, and it can be in like big ways, you know, the big, like, whoa, you're being taken advantage of, or the small ways of just like, somebody's not honoring my time, which can be, that might sound a little bit trite, but I really think it, it, um, it just points to another boundary, um, being crossed. And when I feel like that, when that's triggered in me, it can make my anxiety go haywire. And I don't even realize it. Just like you said, I don't realize it until maybe like much later, but knowing some of those triggers has really like helped me to kind of make like a game plan ahead of time for my anxiety. So I know with certain people, I mean, I hate to say, but with certain people really do trigger my anxiety, but I still love them. 
and I want to be around them. I just have to know like, Hey, this is where you stop. And this is where I begin. And these are the boundaries. And when I know that for me, I can like set myself up for a better relationship and a better experience. So I just wanted to know, like for you, have you thought about this or have you created your own set of boundaries? What does that look like for you? Well, so I think that I love that you're talking about boundaries. I think they're so important. And um, I think diving into the idea of boundaries, that's something that I really did before I realized that I was struggling with anxiety. And I'm glad because that was one of the things like boundaries was something that my counselor and I talked about a ton. And we were able to do so much like work on that because, you know, I'm a people pleaser and I love saying yes. And I'm terrified of hurting people's feelings. And, you know, that's something that we've really been working on. I got to see that, you know, that's sort of a natural bent in me and something I've really, yeah, something I've been working on. But I, now I can see that my anxiety was making that so much worse. You know, I haven't thought necessarily, I think like overstimulation or lots of like lots of loud noises, lots of things going on, um, kind of will, will get my heart beating pretty fast and my, my lungs tightening. You know, there are some like central fears of mine that will, you know, when they're triggered, when something happens, like I'll, I'll feel extra extra anxious. But I think that more it's that I think we all have different pieces of our, our hearts and our lives and our story that are hard for us or triggering for us. For me, I noticed that like those things are still true. My anxiety was making it so that I couldn't get out of them. They would swallow me instead of being like, okay, this is a kind of stressful situation. Like let's step outside or let's, um, I just wasn't, I just wasn't able to do that. So yeah, I'm still kind of, kind of paying attention to, to what those things are just because so recently it was everything. It was everything like, and nothing would even happen. Um, and I would feel anxious. You know, I know that there are all different kinds of ways to calm ourselves down, or I know that there are lots of different strategies. And, and I think that, you know, I'm just now getting back into those because for so long I was clinging to those things and they weren't helping me. And now now that I'm like my eyes are above the pool a little bit, I can start using these tools again, like turning off our phones. I completely agree about social media, like really being careful about what we watch and making sure that the things that we ingest with our eyes and our ears and our brains are good for us or just taking good care of ourselves. I think that, you know, I mean, I was just for me in my particular journey, I was gripping onto those things so hard and they weren't helping me because it was it was more than those things were able to do. And now that I'm in a better place, now I'm able to kind of grasp onto those. But so like kind of the next step I took once I realized that this was like so much greater than I could fix on my own, I decided that I wanted to reach out to a psychiatrist and talk to them about potentially getting on some meds or see if like, see, have have them do some sort of like evaluation on me to be like, is, is this a real thing? Do I really struggle with anxiety and depression? And so the tricky thing about that was that I ended up calling um, a giant hospital here in Nashville. The, the whole thing about actually getting to a place where I could get some help was really hard because one, because my husband and I own our own businesses, our health insurance is like terrible. Like it's fine, but it's just not, we don't have a company, you know, providing us like really great health insurance. And so it was going to be expensive. Whatever we decided to do, we were going to have to pay for it. I reached out to a giant hospital here in Nashville thinking, surely they will have a great, you know, psychiatric team. They'll be able to talk to me through, like, you know, get me in. And I called them and they immediately said, uh, we're not taking new patients. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. I just worked, like I spent what, four years working up the courage to ask for help and there's no room at the end for me. (laughs) So that was like really daunting. And so what I ended up doing, there's this amazing clinic here in Nashville and it's called the Center for Hope and Healing. Mm -hmm. Um, And it's 
expensive. Honestly, it's expensive. And I knew that um, I called for an appointment and they didn't have an appointment for me for six weeks. And at this point, I was like barely hanging on. Like every day was a struggle for me. I was hurting so bad. I was, I just was a total, I was, I was just a wreck. And the idea of six weeks felt impossible to me. And I remember calling a girlfriend of mine and she said, Steph, speaking of the power of girlfriends, she said, Steph, these six weeks are going to pass whether you have the appointment or not, like you still have to live through these next next six weeks. She said, I think you should make the appointment. She said, do you want me to call? I'll make it for you. Mm. And I just, the thought of someone calling and making the appointment for me, she's like, I'll take you. I'll go with you. Like, I'll do this for you. Um, we'll go together. Just was exactly what I needed. Mm. And I ended up calling and making the appointment and we ended up, you know, scraping together the money to be able to pay for it. And when I finally, you know, the waiting period was really, really tough, especially just because things were like progressively just getting worse. Mm. But when I finally got into the appointment, they did kind of an evaluation on me and were like, yep, you absolutely struggle with anxiety and depression. You know, we talked about my family history. It's like super thick in my family history. And they were like, your brain chemistry is off. And so they you know, you asked about like how it felt to admit or like accept yeah. that this was a reality. Mm-hmm. That's the, that's the first time I was upset. Like I was, I was simultaneously afraid going into that appointment because I was afraid that they were going to be like, no, you're fine. And then I was like, you know, what do I do? What does this mean? But then the fact that they said, no, you're not fine was also really pretty heartbreaking because yeah, it was like, my body doesn't function the way it's supposed to. But they were able to put me on some antidepressants and like a super low dose. And Dana, it started helping so quickly. Mm. It really did. And I know that, you know, everyone has different feelings about medication. But I think that for me, in my specific situation, like my brain chemistry was off. And it's like, it's like having bad vision and having someone say, why can't you read this? Like, just read it, just read it. Like just squint harder or like make your eyes work. And you're like, I can't make my eyes work. I, and that's, that's the frustrating thing about, you know, mental health and mental illness is that our thinker is broken. Like our, our reasoning, the thing that does reasoning for us, our, our, the thing that tells us truth, like is broken and we can't just squint harder or try harder and fix it. And, and I'd been trying for a really long time. And so it was really sad to hear that like, yep, you, your brain chemistry is off. Um, you're not going to just get better. You're not going to just like, you know, squeeze your, like do whatever and, and come out feeling, come out differently. And so I, but I was also really relieved to know that, that there was a way out and that there was help for me. And I've been on medication for the last let's see, what is it? Three months, I think. And I truly, Dana, I'm feeling so much better Mm -hmm. and I'm not feeling weird. I'm not feeling off. I'm not feeling like fake happy. I'm not feeling Mm -hmm. anything. I'm just feeling like me again. And it's amazing because, you know, these things, the triggers that you're asking about, like those things still happen, but I have my hands on the pool and I'm pushed up above it enough to be able to take deep breaths on my own, to be able to hear people when they tell me things, to be able to filter information, to be able to speak truth, to be able to remind myself of things. Like I just have the perspective and I'm above it enough to be able to, to deal with life. I think like, like I'm supposed to be able to. Mm. I love that stuff. I just, I love the image of you just with your hands on the edge of the pool and being able to pull yourself up, just being just above the water so that you can breathe. You're safe. You know, you, you have a hold on the ground, right? I think that that's so, so, so important. And I love that you shared how 
you know, you called this big hospital in Nashville, like one that you were like, well, of course I'm going to be able to get in. There's no room at the inn. And then, you know, you try to call this other place and you have to wait six weeks. I just, first of all, I want to like, just tell you how proud I am of you for keeping like just going, going and going and going and like not stopping at no, you know, because I've had a lot of friends tell me similar experiences where they're like, well, I know I need help, but nobody has room for me and that's not my problem. And it's like, yeah, we can do that. We can stop at a no, but you knew that you needed help and you knew that you wanted to, you wanted healing. And so you kept going. And I love that. And I hope that that encourages somebody listening to not give up because you're worth it and your life is worth fighting for. Right. And so, I mean, I just, I love that. I'm so glad you shared that. I think it's so important for us to hear. And then, and just like your friend said, like those six weeks are going to pass anyway. So let's just have that at the, at the end of the tunnel, you know, and, and it also is such a testimony to how many people deal with this that yeah. it takes so long to get in, right? Yes. So let that make you feel a little bit less alone if you're going through that right now. If you're hearing no's or this long waiting period, it's like, okay, it's because you're not alone. You know, there's so many people out there. Yes. So that's just one thing I, I really wanted to say. I think that's really beautiful. Hey friends, I wanted to take a quick pause for my conversation with Dana to thank our sponsor for this week. I love our Girls' Night sponsors because they allow us to pour so much more time and energy and love and resources into our Girls' Night. I also love them because these companies, which are so cool, by the way, came to us and said, hey, can we give your listeners discounts and free stuff? And of course I said yes to that. You guys, I have your back. So our sponsor for today's episode is Simple Contacts, a company that I ran across recently and immediately just loved. Now, listen, you guys, if you wear contact lenses and find yourself dreading that annual appointment to renew your prescription, then you are going to love Simple Contacts. It's a great new company that makes this annoying process totally simple. Get it? (laughs) And everyone said amen, right? I'm always looking for ways to make life just a little bit simpler. Simple Contacts lets you renew your expired contact lens prescription and reorder your brand of contact lenses from your phone or your computer in just minutes. Simple Contacts brings the doctor's office to wherever you are, whenever you need it. You can take the Simple Contacts vision test online in just five minutes. A real doctor reviews it and renews your prescription. You get to save time, save money, and save yourself a headache. And if you have an unexpired prescription, all you have to do is upload a photo of it or your doctor's info, and you can order your lenses in minutes for a really great price. They do all the hard work for you. Simple Contacts offers every brand of lenses and their prices are unbeatable. The prescription is just $20, which compare that with an annual appointment, which can be up to $200 without insurance. They also have some of the best prices on contacts and shipping is free. Best of all, my listeners get $20 off their first simple contacts order. Isn't that awesome? To get $20 off your first order of contacts, go to simplecontacts.com slash girlsnight20 or enter the promo code girlsnight20 at checkout. Really quick, I want to mention that this is not a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam. You still need to get those occasionally, but this is the most convenient way to renew a prescription and reorder your contacts if your vision hasn't changed. So again, check out Simple Contacts and get $20 off your first order by going to simplecontacts.com slash girlsnight20 or by entering girlsnight20 at checkout. A big thank you to Simple Contacts for sponsoring our Girls' Night. We have loved having you. Okay, now let's get back to my conversation with Dana. Something that I, I know that you know, Ashlyn Carter, um, she's a mutual girlfriend of ours. And 
uh, where I just more so am like a online friend with her. But one thing that she wrote about in her blog one time was just this exercise that she did for anxiety. And it, it kind of made me think of this conversation. Um, once you are in that place where you are just a little bit more stable, but you have obviously these triggers that are coming at you. Um, something that she talks about was going through this exercise. I'm going to have to link it in the show notes, but it's just about kind of like closing your eyes and being really cognizant of like, okay, what do I smell? What am I, what am I hearing? What am I feeling on my skin? Like what's the temperature of the room and kind of becoming super, super present and just like allowing yourself to relax into yourself and, um, into where you are in the moment. And I just thought that was such a good exercise to bring up. I don't know. I feel like that was placed on my heart for someone out there just maybe you need to hear that. And it's really helped me a lot. So thanks Ashlyn, if you're hearing this. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Yeah. And, and the thing is like, I, I'm such a huge fan of self-care. Like mm, yeah. we need to be, you know, things like journaling, things like, um, I mean, obviously like reading scriptures, but mm-hmm. like spending time in the word, like listening to worship music, things like taking a bath, having a nighttime, a morning and a nighttime routine, making sure you're getting plenty of exercise. That's mm-hmm. one of the first things that they told me to do as I, as I left that appointment, you know, I had medication and they said, also you need to be eating well, and you need to be eating on a regular basis. You also need to be working out. And they were like, Seth, like this is, this is a prescription for you. And so, I mean, for the first, it's, <laughs> I haven't been as good about it in the last week or two. <laughs> but for the first like couple first couple months as I was like desperately trying to get out of this as I was, you know, waiting for this medication to kick in and knowing that, you know, I needed that it was going to be kind of a holistic thing to to help me start feeling better. I was taking walks every day and it felt to me like I was treating it like taking medication. Like mm. this is this is a prescription. Like I need to be walking for 30 minutes a day. And so there's so many self-care things that are actually really really helpful. My counselor has said, um, when you're, if you're just really spinning, um, something you can do is she said, walk outside. If you can take off your shoes and put your feet on the earth, like put your feet in the grass and just take deep breaths. She also said that there's this posture where I'm going to see if I can describe it. You're hugging yourself and you're putting your right hand under your left armpit. And then with your other arm, you're wrapping yourself. So you have your right hand under your left armpit and then you're wrapping yourself. And she said that you can kind of feel your heartbeat like with your right hand. And then also, I don't know, something about it is just like secure or um, soothing. I don't know. And she just said like, wrap yourself like this and just take deep breaths. And there are all kinds of, you know, there are apps um, that help you breathe deeply. There are um, just different breathing techniques. And those are super helpful. I think that just for where I was when people were first telling me those things, it was like, breathe deeply. And I was like, you literally, I'm, I'm actually drowning in a pool right now. Like I, I can't breathe deeply. I can't breathe at all. I need to be able to get out of the pool, cough up some water. <laughs> and then like, then I can try these breathing techniques. But I think that, you know, we're all in different places and, and those, there are so many techniques and tricks and, you know, exercises are really, really good one being out in fresh air. Mm. Um, there are all kinds of things that are, that are just really, really helpful. That's so good. That's really helpful. I love that posture too. I was doing it as you were explaining it. It does feel, it's like safe and secure and you feel more grounded. I love that. So I hope anyone listening, if you're not driving, go for it. (laughs) Try it out. (laughs) Keep your hands on the wheel if you're driving. Yes. Keep the hands on the wheel. (laughs) All right, girls. So you know, we've, we've talked a little bit about thoughts and just how they're so powerful. And, you know, for me, anxiety kind of feels like I've hopped on this train to Anxietyville and it's like, I just can't get off of it because it's going so, so fast. So 
I just want to know, like, is that kind of how you've, is that how it feels for you? And it kind of sounds like it is like, it's just like this for you, you've talked about like the drowning or just like feeling like you can't even take a deep breath. And for me, I just feel like it's like, whoosh, like every, the world is just like going by so fast. Cause it's just, holy cow, it's so fast. And I can't, it's hard to hop off of it. It's hard to get your, your setting, um, your feet settled. So I love that about just like going outside and putting your feet in the ground. like so good. So how have you found that like focusing on God's word, even if it's just like a phrase or a word from scripture has helped. I feel like for me, it helps to just like, to just have like a sentence of scripture or just like something. I mean, the other day I, I like, I think I voice texted you just, I think it was James four seven, which is, um, resist the enemy or like submit to God, resist the enemy and he will flee. And sometimes it's just like those little scriptures that are just so short and like focusing on those can really help me kind of recenter. And it might not actually, it doesn't happen right away. It takes time. It takes a lot of time, but it's like repeating and repeating and repeating helps me. And does that, is that something that you found or like, is there a scripture verse or like a phrase that really helps you to center that you'd recommend? Yeah. Um, I think that that's like such a great way of, of calming calming yourself down. And mm-hmm. I think that, you know, when we are feeling so anxious or when we're feeling depressed, um, our brain is screaming all kinds of truth at us. That's not really truth. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that while, you know, for me for a long time, it wasn't, it felt like it wasn't helping just because it, it was like, you know, the world was like, you know, my brain is like screaming at me and I'm like trying to whisper back. But I, I think that any time that we can focus on God's word, like, is so good and so important. And because even if it doesn't feel like it's helping, like, we're grounding ourselves on what's actually true. And I think that even if we feel like we're whispering compared to shouts, like, th- that whisper is important. Something that I've been reading a lot is uh, the 23rd Psalm. And I, that Psalm's super important to me for like a million different reasons. But I just like, I love the imagery of he leads me beside still waters. He quiets my soul. Like, I mean, it just, the whole thing is God restoring you and giving you rest and giving you peace and guiding you and um, taking care of you. And I mean, it just, I don't, I wish I had it memorized better, but like the idea of him leading us into green pastures and besides still waters and, and restoring our soul is so important. And so I just want to read that. And there, a couple of weeks ago, I was feeling really anxious and really twisted up about some things. And um, so I read it out loud to myself just several times, just read it out loud. And then I went outside, I put my feet on the ground, um, in the grass mm-hmm. and it just, it helped. It helped. So good. There's so much about what you just said that really hit my heart. I think, you know, you said, you mentioned about like not really feeling it at first, like maybe you're reading scripture and especially when you're in this state of anxiety or depression, it can be like, okay, I'm reading it. And I know in my head, it's the truth, but it's not like dropping to my heart because I still feel just like this buzzing all around me and it's hard to center. And, um, I read somewhere recently that the word of God might not, it might not do something in your heart while you're reading it. It might not impact you. It might just kind of be like you're reading a blog and that's it. You know what I mean? Unfortunately, it can feel like that sometimes, but it builds up over time and it like tucks itself away into your heart. And it has this way it's cause it's alive, right? The word of God is alive and it's, it's, living and, um, breathing. And so it tucks itself away into our hearts so that we can bring it. It it comes to life when we need it. And, you know, God's timing is always so good and pure and it comes out just like that. And I love also that you, that you chose to read it aloud, that you wrote Psalm 23 aloud, because it does, I, I can't remember where it is somewhere in the word. It talks about how like hearing the 
hearing the word um, changes us. And that's how we're, that's how we come to know him is through hearing. And so um, I've heard it said by a few people to read it out loud. Like don't just read it in your head, like we do a book, but actually like interact with it by hearing yourself, read it over yourself. Mm -hmm. And, um, it's so funny. I, I, I feel like when I do that, it just penetrates at this deeper level rather than just like reading it with my eyes and in my head. Um, so I love that. That's such a good piece of advice to just do that out loud. And, and sometimes it takes like a few times reading it through too, to just be like, Oh yeah, like God, you're here. And I know I can't, feel you right now. Maybe, maybe I feel like a glimmer of you. I know that I know I can feel so much more of you. Cause I've felt that before and you're faithful. Like I can see my past where you've been faithful. So I know you're going to be faithful to my future. And I think it's kind of having, holding on to that hope per se that you have, um, you've experienced his love and you've felt his love before, but feeling it isn't always the truth, right? So our feelings aren't the truth. And so knowing that, knowing though someday you're going to feel, you're going to feel good again. And I think that that's, that's the hope that we can hold on to in Christ is that you're gonna, you're gonna get to that point of, of really feeling his presence. And it might not be today. It might not be tomorrow, but when we focus on, on his love and on his goodness, it's like, we just know it's coming. You know what I mean? It's like, I feel like something that I would talk to about my friends or with my friends who are believers before is like, there's this level of hope that I have in Christ now that is, it's like elevated just so much from when I was just really living in the world. You know, when, when you're in the world and you don't really, and you don't know the Lord, you don't know who he is, or you don't have a relationship with him. You have a, a certain level of human hope, right? It's like, Oh, we're hoping we're hopeful for the future. And, you know, I'm hopeful for, you know, getting, you know, getting married or having a family or whatever. And, and that can feel good. It can feel really good. Right. But when you're in Christ, this hope, it just like explodes through the ceiling and it's just off the charts. And so our level of hope like goes up so much so that we, yeah, I don't, does that make sense? It's like, and we can look forward to that. I think even in these seasons of deep um, sadness. And that's, that's kind of like what I wanted to sort of round off with though, is, is just, you know, depression and anxiety from the standpoint of being a believer for me, at least in the last few years, since coming to know the Lord has been like this weird dance because I've always been comfortable with it as far as like talking about anxiety and depression in the world, because a lot of people deal with it and it's just life. Right. But with God, it's like, I feel like there's this need to always be in the joy mode, like, Oh, I'm, I'm happy because I'm in Christ, which I am right. We are, we have so much joy in him, but it doesn't mean that we won't walk through the darkness. It doesn't mean that we're not going to have seasons of total and utter sadness and grief. And I think that we have to recognize and give each other permission to be real about that. So I would just love to hear like any of your thoughts on that and just like, yeah, I would just love to hear your thoughts, girl. Well, I think, yeah, I, I love everything that you just said, Dana. And I think there's some, there, there's some guilt and some shame for struggling. Like there's just, no one's talking, not enough people are talking about mental health um, and mental illness. And it's a thing, like, it's a thing like any other illness. I mean, it just, it's a, it's an illness and it's not something we brought on. It's not something we caused. It's not something we didn't do something wrong to make it happen to us. Um, we're not, not working hard enough to get out of it. And I think that, you know, sometimes I think we're guilty. Like the word of God is living and active and can do things in us that we cannot even imagine. And I believe that God is a healer and that he can heal us, totally redeem us in an instant of things. But 
I think that sometimes we feel like, you know, I'm depressed and I'm reading scripture and it's not making me feel better. Therefore, I'm not doing it right. I'm not like reading hard enough. I'm not thinking about it the right way. So not only are we depressed, but we feel like we're doing everything wrong. We're disappointing God. And like the hole just got deeper. And the thing is, you know, I prayed a lot. I asked God to do, like I was so at the end of myself, I was asking God to deliver me of this pain, of this sadness, of this fear, of this anxiety, because I could not get it out of it myself. And I just, and I was begging for him to deliver me of it. And he didn't, not in the way that I, I didn't read a verse and automatically feel better. I didn't all of a sudden feel his presence wash over me and have it all lift, which both of those things are possible. I believe them. I just, God works in different ways all the time for different reasons and with different people. The way that I saw God show up for me in this, like without a doubt, is that he surrounded me with my people. He surrounded me with people who loved me and who were there for me and believed me when I told them how I was feeling. People who offered to call like the clinic for me to get me an appointment. The way that he showed up for me was like, he, he wrapped me up through the arms of my people. And the other thing he did for me, which is why I felt like I want to talk about this is that in the, in the weeks and months leading up to me, finally being able to say, I think I struggle with this. I had the opportunity to talk to some women that I deeply admire, that I really respect. And that I think are just amazing. And they said, I struggle with anxiety and depression. I'm on medication for it. It is a major struggle in my life. I'm, it's not holding me back. Like I'm not giving, I'm not giving over my whole life to it, but this is, this is a thorn in my side. And, and it's something I deal with. And I think that getting to see women that I deeply respect talk about this made me feel way less shame about it. It, And it gave me way more freedom to go ask for help about it. And so I think that, you know, we can feel so much shame feeling like we must be a bad Christian because we didn't, because the scripture didn't deliver us or whatever, but God showed up for me Mm -hmm. through my people wrapping me up. And also through getting to hear women say, I struggle with this and it's okay to ask for help. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he showed up in a huge way that way. And then I feel like he's shown up in such a huge way for me, like allowing help to be available and through medication. Like I do not feel like it's either or. And mm-hmm. um, I don't believe that the fact that, you know, reading a couple verses a couple times, not making me feel better, me like that doesn't mean that I'm a bad Christian. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't mean that God didn't show up for me. He did. He did in a lot of ways. And, you know, just in the same way that we would say, yes, God is able to totally cure cancer without one bit of chemo. A lot of times it takes a lot of chemo and God still shows up through that too. And so I think we wouldn't deny someone chemo saying you're a bad Christian because you don't have enough faith. Like if someone breaks their arm, we want them to get a cast. We want them to have surgery. If someone has cancer, we want them to be treated by professionals for it. And the same is true with our mental health. And so I I think there is no shame. It is just like any other illness. Sometimes our brain chemistry is off. And sometimes we go through seasons that are really hard. And sometimes we need people around us and we need, you know, self-care. Sometimes we need counseling. I think a lot of times we need counseling, no matter who we are or what's going on. Um, And then I think sometimes because of either what we've been through or because of what's in our family history or because the way our brain works, we need medication. And there is no shame in any of that. And And I believe that God is showing up and taking care of us and loving us and delivering us in all kinds of ways through all of those things. But if you are sitting there feeling like, you know, I've I've been reading these verses and my anxiety is not going away, like sister, that is one of the tools God has given you. And and you're not, you didn't cause this or ask for it or bring it on um, in your life. And it is absolutely a hundred percent okay to to ask for help. Mm -hmm. Um, God will provide for you as you 
as you ask for help. Mm. Um, yeah. Oh, stuff that's so good. Yeah. I think just to kind of tail end it off is that God doesn't send anxiety. He doesn't send depression. He doesn't send any kind of pain in our lives, but he can definitely use it. And I think that just like you said, he brought all these beautiful people into your lives. He used people to just shower you with love and visit you and bring groceries and make appointments, you know, like it's an offer to make appointments. And yeah, I think it's just beautiful that when we, when you just open up this little tiny door in your heart, just like a tiny bit for God to use whatever it is that you're going through for him to enter into that with you. It's amazing what can happen. And also just like, you know, taking, taking a moment to think about, okay, where, where is God in this? And I like to think of him as always just being right there, like so close. And, you know, even when you don't feel him, even when it's hard, like when I'm having one of those days where, and I've had them like stuff, you were there for one of them just a week ago where it was just a really tough day and tough news. And when you have those days when your pain is just so overwhelming and you feel like you're drowning in that pool or the train is going too fast, just know that like, Jesus is literally right there in the pool with you. He's right next to you on the train. And even when it feels awful, he's right there. And like, you can be, you can be mad and it's okay to be mad. And you know what? Sometimes it's okay to be mad at God. It it actually is because he can handle that. (laughs) And like, he definitely can. Yeah. And so I think just, you know, knowing that, just like you said, like, it's not reading scripture and reading, reading it every day. It's not, yeah, it's, it's what we need to do. It's like our obedience and like, it's just, it's so good for us. It's like eating healthy food. Right. But it's not going to change everything overnight, but I think just inviting him into all those places. And that's something that we kind of forget about. I think sometimes when we're, when we're going through depression and anxiety, it's hard to remember to invite him into it. But I just want to like remind you guys to invite him in because he's there. And it's just, it's comforting to know that you can, you can be who you are. You can be exactly exactly in the midst of what you're going through. And, um, and he's still there and he still loves you and he's still proud of you. And I think that someone needs to hear that. So Steph, just to finish off, I'd love to, um, you know, one thing that you told me, I don't know if it was the first time you met or whatever, but you told me that both of your parents are therapists. Is that right? Am I remembering that right? Okay. (laughs) Amazing. Um, oh my gosh. So we've talked about, you know, so many times, like through events we've done and just in conversation, just about how therapy is so helpful. And, you know, I'd just love to hear, you know, if somebody is kind of on the edge, like what would be your advice for them? You know, if they're kind of like, I don't know, is that, does that mean I'm, you know, does that mean I'm really off the deep end or (laughs) what would you say to that girl? Well, yeah. So both my parents are uh, licensed psychologists, which is crazy and also totally normal. Like everyone's like, did they psychoanalyze you as a child? I'm like, no, (laughs) they're just like really normal parents. Um, but I think that, you know, having them as my parents made me really comfortable with the idea of therapy as, as a tool. Um, I think it's like, you know, if you, if your mom is a doctor, like you just know that there are doctors who are really wonderful and really well-trained and they're there to help you when you're sick. And so that's, I think what I really grew up with when it comes to therapy and, and having psychologists as parents. Um, but I am a huge fan of therapy for all reasons in all seasons. I, I think, yeah, we do have this idea that you must be really 
really, or you have to be like really, really, really broken to go to counseling. And I just don't think that's the case. When I decided to go back, I, um, so I've been in counseling, you know, a handful of times for a handful of reasons, like throughout my life, going through breakups, going through really hard seasons, when I was feeling so anxious about getting married, like different things like that, I've reached out for help. But when I decided to go to therapy again um, in October, and I've been going ever since, it wasn't like something enormous had happened. I just had started making a list in my phone of random things that would kind of come up and they felt like the mental equivalent or the emotional equivalent of like, sometimes if I sleep weird, my back hurts, like my back hurts sometimes. Or, you know, when it's like really rainy, like my shoulder creaks, there's, you know, just like, I might want to get this checked out. And it was, you know, the mental and emotional equivalent of that. It was like, this kind of, this thing makes me sad. I'm not sure why, or, you know, I, I tend to react poorly to this and I'm, and I'm not sure why, and I don't want to, but I don't know how to get around it. And I had made a list of, you know, or things that had happened in my life that I'd never really worked through. And I knew that the best thing I could do for myself, for my relationship with the Lord, for my relationship with my husband, for my friendships, for, did I already say my work? I mean, like everything was to be the healthiest version of myself. And so that's why I decided to go to counseling because it sort of felt like the mental equivalent of like a well child checkup or like a well woman (laughs) checkup. Um, I just wanted to make sure I was at my best. What I found was that I had been struggling with something for a really long time. This anxiety and depression didn't know it. And sometimes that happens, but I do think, you know, we all go through life and we we're bumped and bruised by different things. Different things happen to us. And, you know, some of us have been through like monumentally tragic things or traumatizing things and we've never worked through it. And I think no matter whether the things in us are seem small, which um, my, my counselor said that any, that she defines trauma as anything that wouldn't have happened in, in the Garden of Eden. And so really we've all been through trauma. We've all been hurt, but whether our hurt feels like you know, if you're putting it on a scale, which no one is, it feels small or if it's huge, I think there is help for us. And we do not have to walk through life with baggage. I, it, we don't, we get to put it down and we get to ask for help and we get to walk through life lighter and freer. And I think having someone in your corner who's unbiased, who has no dog in the fight, who is not going to be judging you, who's not going to tell your best friend what you said, is not going to think differently of you. Having someone in your corner to just talk with you through some things is so helpful. And I, I believe that every single part of our lives is better when we're healthier. Um, and that that's an incredible step that we can take to get ourselves to just being the healthiest we can be. Amen. I love it, girl. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So finally, just to end off, I'd love to know, do you have a funny or embarrassing story that you'd love to tell with us? Cause I love embarrassing stories. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I love telling them. Um, yes, I for sure do. So Um, when I was in third grade, I was really winning at life and I all at the same time, let's see if I can make, if I can totally do the list at one time in third grade, I had glasses, I had braces. I had one of those metal expander things that's like attached the roof of your mouth to make your mouth bigger. (laughs) But an expander, I had, um, those rubber bands that are attached, like the top braces to your bottom braces that you have to take off when you eat at night. I had to wear headgear. Um, I, let's see, braces, glasses, headgear, expander, rubber bands, glasses. I already said that one. And I was in the chess club all at the same time. (laughs) Really winning. Headgear. That is amazing. Yeah. And I was in the chess club every <laughs> once in a while. If someone says like, Oh, Stephanie, you have beautiful teeth. They're like, I love your smile or something. I'm like, girl, I earned this. You earned <laughs> I it. I earned this. 
Good gracious. That yeah. is incredible. And I yeah. think I need a picture. That's amazing. I know. I know. I, I thankfully <laughs> my parents never took a picture of the headgear, but like, I can fully remember what it looked like. Uh, they were really kind to not have documented evidence of that, but I need to find some sort of third grade picture for you. Amazing. <laughs> yes, please. Oh my gosh. I love it. All right, girls. So, you know, I just want to, I know that the listeners are going to be like scurrying to find you if they don't know you already. So let us know what is the best way for them to get in touch, um, to find you, to follow you. And also please tell them how to get the lipstick gospel because everybody needs to read it. I'm telling you. Oh, friend, thank you. Um, okay, so you can find me over at stephaniemaywilson.com. Um, and it's M-A-Y. Um, some people spell it M-A-E, but it's like the month. Um, stephaniemaywilson.com. On Instagram, that's like my favorite place to hang out. I'm at smaywilson. And you can find everything through either of those links. But yes, you can absolutely get a copy of the Lipstick Gospel. Um, you can find it on Amazon or you can find it you know, through one of those links. But uh, I'd love to give... I One of my favorite things I get to do is to give uh, digital copies away for free. So mm-hmm. if you are looking for a free book, I'd love to send one your way. And you can find it either on stephaniemaywilson.com or at smaywilson on Instagram. Yay. Oh, I love it. And you guys, this is a really great gift to give too. I know the holiday season's coming up. I uh, gifted this book to my sister and she's given it to like so many of her friends too. So it is one that it's like the gift that keeps on giving. So um, read the digital, but then also get the physical because it's just such a great gift. So I love it. I love you. And I'm so grateful for you. And I'm just so excited to see how this conversation blesses so many of the listeners. And girl, I love Love you. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Friends, thank you so much for listening to today's episode. I cannot tell you how much it means to me to have you here at Girls' Night. One thing I wanted to mention quickly is that I know we talked about a lot in today's episode. And so if you ever want to find those links to any of those things, all you have to do is go to my website. It's stephaniemaywilson.com slash blog. And for every episode, we'll have a blog post with the show notes. All the links will be there for everything we talked about, including Dana's contact info so y'all can follow her and so y'all can be friends. And so you can check out her new podcast. So good. Now, before you go, I would love it if you would do two quick things. The first is to subscribe. Subscribing to the podcast is the best way to make sure you never miss an episode. It's also a way easier way to listen because it's a way of sort of bookmarking the podcast. You never have to go looking for it again. Your app will just automatically download the next episode when a new one's released. The other thing is that it would mean so much to me if you would take a quick second to leave a rating and a review for the podcast. The way that iTunes knows to suggest the podcast to new people is by the ratings and the reviews. That's how we invite new friends to our girls' nights. So would you do me a huge favor and take one quick second to leave a rating and a quick comment about how you like the podcast so far? It would help out the podcast so much. And thank you to all of you who've left such sweet comments already. They mean so much to me. I love this one from Mackenzie. She said, when listening to Girls' Night, it feels like Stephanie becomes your new BFF that you can listen to on long car rides, a trip to the gym, or while you're at work typing away. She's always there and always has a good word. If you're a 20 or 30-something, you have to give this a listen. Stephanie and her guests will see you through the ups, the downs, the breakups, the money problems, the good, the bad, and you will be so happy you found this podcast. I love that. Thank you so much for your sweet words, friend. And a huge thank you to all of you who've taken the time to leave a review. It really means the world to me. Friends, thanks so much for joining us for Girls' Night, and I'll see you next week.